Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to The Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the press office with Caden Co. PR. Any aspiring journalists, listen up because today I am joined by media powerhouse and all-round lovely human being, Karina Rossi. You've probably heard of Karina from her previous role as style and beauty editor at Nine Honey where she has now transitioned into the role as editor of recently launched platform Nine Product Reviews. Her journey to where she is today will honestly have anyone who has dreamed of a career in the heyday of magazines just listening in envy, but it truly was her tenacity that has made her stand out of the crowd. I will let her do the talking, so let's get on to the interview. I am joined by the lovely Karina Rossi. So firstly, thank you and welcome to the press office. Thank you. This is very exciting. It's a first for me. Is this your first ever podcast? Yeah. Oh, well, I feel very blessed right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here. So we are going to dive straight into your very amazing career in the media industry and as We are recording video so people can see your amazing style. So you were previously style editor at Nine Honey and now you're currently the editor at Nine Product Reviews. How did you get here? I guess for me, I've I've been in media for a while now. I always try to work it out and I always get stuck around that 12-year mark, but I think it's actually 16 now. So, But I, you know, I had a stint in magazines. I then went into, from magazines, so from print to digital, and my second digital role ended up, uh, landed me at Nine and Honey. And I was doing a mat, it was just, a, I was doing a mat leave cover. So I wasn't, my intention wasn't to stay forever. It was kind of, I thought it was going to be my, the role that I was like, it'll be my last role in media. Cause I'd just come off a uh, redundancy, which is for anyone in media, I feel like it happens at least once, but it was kind of that one time where I was like, you know what, like, that that's enough for me. Like I've had, I've experienced everything I can in media. I will try something different. But then I got this mat leave cover at Nine Honey doing style. So like the style editor role, but looking after beauty um, and just kind of as well as style and then just the general, you know, lifestyle. I moved kind of into health as well and travel as the team kind of needed, you know, me to pivot into different directions. And I kind of haven't left. So I stayed, (laughs) I stayed at nine and then after four years in the style role, moved into this new role, which is we launched uh, nine product reviews back in November. So that would be five months ago now. Gosh, yeah, about five months ago. And yeah, so now I'm just heading up that team and we're small, but we're mighty and there are 
big, big things to come, I think, for for the product review team. And yeah, so that's how I got here. <laughs> well, that's so exciting that you now get to lead a team and be with something from the start. Has, you know, nine product reviews been something that was in the works for a long time or is it something that's kind of just molding with, you know, the landscape and at the moment? So it was something that had we'd always been talking about it. I, you know, always had kind of an interest in this kind of stuff. It's affiliate marketing. So it's in that affiliate partnership space where I work with our different partners to make sure that we can like deliver the outcomes that um, we need through the content that we create. So yeah, it's kind of, I'm obsessed with shopping, which is isn't always a good thing for my bank balance, but kind of helps me in this role. Because I guess with product reviews, we're just trying to help our readers make really smart shopping decisions. And I think in this current like economic climate, it's really important to be able to have, you know, a trusted source that you can go to and know that, you know, the products that are being reviewed are being reviewed genuinely and you can, you can, you know, trust what's being written and, you know, make your shopping decisions based off that. So I think, yeah, it's something that I'm very passionate about. So I was super excited to head it up, um, head up the product review team. So, yeah. I also have a shopping problem. So welcome to the party. It's not a fun one. (laughs) No, I mean, it is fun when you get, when you buy the thing that you've been like (laughs) eyeing off for a while, or maybe not, maybe it's like a last minute purchase that you you know, saw and realized you cannot live without. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's got pros and cons to it. I love shopping. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And looking at your career now, how did you initially start landing, you know, these journalism jobs, even way back when you were back in print magazines? So I grew up in Newcastle. I was studying there at Newcastle Uni and I was in my third year. And I all I ever wanted to do was work in magazines. It was like my dream job. But I had like lecturers tell me that it was really interesting because I actually did one of my courses was a magazine journalism course. And then after like, you know, a few weeks in, we weren't really doing any magazine stuff. It was all very newspaper heavy. And I was like, oh, when are we going to get to like, the fun like magazine features and I remember my lecturer saying oh you know like you'll never you'll never get a job in magazines without working for a paper first and being in Newcastle that was the Newcastle Herald and there were no real magazines there it was going to be you know harder and I was like oh I'm not okay with that because I don't want to work for a paper I like the light women's lifestyle scene and that kind of content. So yeah, I felt like that was a little bit disappointing to hear. And then in my third year, we had to go off and do our own work experience and find our placements. And I managed to get placement at uh, Girlfriend Magazine, which was part of Pacific Magazines at the time. And I was there for like a week. I loved it so much. And it just was, I think it was just luck. I happened to be there as their editorial coordinator was leaving once they were doing interviews and the editor suggested that I just, you know, put my, throw my hat in the ring. I'd never interviewed for a media job before. So I was like, oh, like if anything, it's good experience. Like just try, like try it. You're here, like, you know, what have you got to lose? 
And I ended up getting the job, which was so insane to me, like little old me, like a little young me at the time. (laughs) In my third year at uni, I hadn't finished uni yet. I'd been told, you know, you'll never get to work in magazines without working in papers first. And I was so shocked that I got the job. And so then within like two weeks of that happening, I'd gone from just being at uni in Newcastle, living at home with mum and dad, my two sisters, to being in Sydney working full-time. It was so wild. I still can't believe now that I actually did it. Like I think now I'd be like, no way, you're too young. Like don't, you know, it's too much of a leap. Like I'm just, you know, from Newcastle, Sydney's so big. Yeah, so like that's how I started there. And then basically from that editorial coordinator role, also I continued studying. So I added an extra year onto my degree and did that part-time. So I, because I still wanted to finish my degree, I knew that that was important and I'd put so much time and effort into it to just ditch it with, you know, nine months to go. I you know, wasn't too keen on. So made sure I finished that. But yeah, I spent seven years in magazines, but in like at Girlfriend and I kind of just worked my way up to, you know, into all the different roles. I really felt like I had my head around how magazines worked just from seven years in. I can't even remember how many roles I had there, maybe five by the end of it. And when I finished up there, I was features and entertainment editor. And yeah, doing like what I really loved. And then from there made the switch to digital. So I kind of saw like the peak of magazines, like when it was kind of in their glory days when, you know, it was like the movies and the TV shows, um, everyone getting like insane freebies and trips. Not that it was about that, but I was there when all of that stuff was happening and the access to talent that you would get was insane. And then yeah, kind of as I was leaving the industry, there were redundancies happening around me. I managed to, like at that time, I was going for a role at um, Pop Sugar, which was digital. And I happened to get that as as redundancies were happening around. So I kind of, you know, jumped off at a, at a good time, I think, and then launched myself into digital and, yeah, haven't really looked back. So then was at Pop Sugar for four years, went through the redundancy there and then ended up here at Nine. So, yeah, it's been a fun little journey. I think you might be the perfect person to pick their brains about this, but mm. what are your thoughts on, you know, the digitisation of media, especially, you know, a lot of those female interest publications. Yeah, I personally, I still love holding like a glossy magazine and whenever I can, I will buy them. They're they're beautiful. And I know the effort that goes into putting that together as well. So I feel like there's still always a place and I hope that there's always a place for magazines. I think those really big, beautiful fashion ones, the ones that are quite niche and, you know, I think it's just beautiful to look at. Like I I really like them. I feel like the more lifestyle-y ones, like the ones that kind of lean into that, I don't want to say gossip, but like the kind of content like updates quite quickly. I feel like those ones, we need to be online for that kind of content because that's where the readers are. That's where the consumers are. So you kind of have to be where they are. At the beginning, I was sad that, that, you know, digital was kind of taking over and more people were consuming their media that way than they were magazines and print. But I think, 
you know, it has to happen. We have to go where the people are, even if that means, you know, media companies are branching out into like things like TikTok and stuff like that. You just got to go where they are. So I'm not opposed to it, but I still think that there is a place for magazines, like for the right content. I agree. I think there's something so lovely about actually physically holding what you're reading. So I I think there definitely will always be a place. And as you mentioned too, it's about going where your readers are. Is nine product reviews, you know, looking into social media, Instagram, TikTok as part of the strategy around that brand? Absolutely. Like I think nine in general is like, you know, all over it. And I, you you have to be because you can't, yeah, like I said, you have to go where the people are. And if you're not, if you're not there, then you miss out on, you know, a, on eyeballs, on a huge part of the audience. And I just think it's, yeah, it'd be silly for us to not be there. So I think it's more than just, and this is the thing with like journalists these days, you have to know all the different you know, social media channels that are out there. You can't just be like, oh, I just work online. You've got to know, you know, what the difference between your Facebook reader is and your Instagram reader and the people that are on, that are consuming, you know, their media through TikTok. So you have to, yeah, you've really got to know all the different, the different facets. But it's quite funny because when I was studying at uni, I never would have thought, a, that a role like this would exist or that social media was a thing. Like I I think my first year working full-time was when Facebook had just come out and people were starting to make Facebook accounts. So I still remember being in an office and everyone creating a Facebook account at the same time because they thought it would be fun. So it's definitely changed so much. And, I mean, I think for the, for the kids coming through now, they're all across it. You see them when they come into the office and we have the new young ones start and you're like, oh, my God, they know so much. They know so much about everything. <laughs> I know. It's a whole nother world out there right now, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm like, when am I going to get to the point where I no longer, like I can't actually keep up? <laughs> but I know. It is scary. I think about that too. Like it took my dad so long to work out how to use a Mac computer. And I'm like, when am I going to be that person yelling at my kids, like, help me find the internet? Yeah. Yeah. Like what is, what is Wi-Fi? Like yeah. that, when, we're, when we're like that. Yeah. I, I dread that moment, but yeah, <laughs> I know it's coming. It's got, our brains won't be able to take much more. I don't think. And on that note, do you have any ideas of where the media industry will be heading in the future? It's such a tough question because when I think even like because I it's a same, I feel like that question is similar to like in media to like where do you see yourself in five years or ten years time and I used to like if you asked me ten years ago I would have had an answer but it would be so different to what I'm doing now yeah so I I don't really know how to answer it I feel like you just have to stay you know, like, I guess just keep on your toes and always be like, you know, looking out for, for the next thing, whatever that may be and going down different kind of avenues to, I don't know, just to stay, like, keep, keep your finger on the pulse basically. And yeah, I don't know, like five years, 10 years time. I don't, I don't really know what, what media will look like, but I'm excited to see, you know, where we end up because I didn't even think a job in affiliate partnerships like what I'm kind of doing now would even 
you know, have been a thing back when I started. I just thought I'd be, you know, a magazine editor and then that's it. I'd do that till I retire and everything would be sweet. But that is so far from, from where we are now. Like I honestly don't, I don't know. Is it, it's okay to say that you don't know where you think media will be. I think it's going to be, I think it's quite challenging to try and keep audiences like engaged. And I think that that's something that you know, a lot of publishers need to like or are focusing on now is like how we can kind of keep their attention span because obviously with things like social media kind of condensing everything into like a few minutes or like seconds of of information, you've got to be able to keep your readers, I'm going obviously readers because it's a website, but, you know, you've got to keep your readers entertained for, you know, as like you've got to give them the information in, you know, kind of that time frame that they're willing to kind of give you. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it'll be it'll be a challenge, but I think there's a lot of smart people that work in the industry and and they'll work it out. And hopefully, yeah, there'll still be jobs in media. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, it's so interesting. Like five years ago if someone mentioned TikTok, we would have no idea what they were talking about. And if someone even explained the concept to you, you would be like, well, that's stupid. And now I waste way too much of my time on that platform. Oh my gosh, me too. I remember when it was, I think it was like during lockdown. I I think that's when I signed up and it was just like people dancing. And I was like, this is great. This is just going to get me, this will get me through lockdown. (laughs) And now it's like evolved so much into this, like it's a really awesome space once your algorithm catches up with what you're actually interested in and you stop getting served trash. (laughs) But yeah, I, yeah, it's a, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Do you find that you ever find stories off social media like TikTok? Absolutely. Because I think it's where a lot of people go to talk about things and you, when things go viral on TikTok, it's it's pretty. It's a pretty good indication of what people are interested in. So I feel like even people that don't have TikTok, like people in my life that do not have TikTok, but they'll like all of a sudden they would have heard, even if it's just a song or like everything then gets turned into a reel, I guess then on Instagram. But like they'll hear about it that way, and then you're like, wow, like that was that viral thing on TikTok that now has seeped into like even my mum's talking about it. She hasn't got TikTok. She hardly uses Instagram. Like it's yeah, it's really interesting how from that platform, it just trickles through and then everyone hears about it. So you have to have your finger on the pulse in that way where you're like on TikTok and keeping up with, you know, what everyone's talking about there. And then I think it's a really fun and important tool. (laughs) I agree. And besides from wasting hours away on TikTok Mm. like myself, what does a typical day look like for you? So for me, like from the very beginning of my day, I mean, my alarm goes up at six. Do I get out of bed at six? Mm, Not all the time. I like to think I exercise in the morning, but it depends if I actually get up and do that. But yeah, I'm usually like out the door, rushing out the door by 7.30, in the office by eight. And then it's basically the day is just every day is different and I'm just, I'm planning out like the kind of content that will go up, what everyone in the team will be working on so that when they come in by nine, they've got their day planned. And then usually it's either meetings 
like so production work with the girls on their stories and maybe more meetings, lunch, and then we'll like I'll hopefully try to get to write stuff myself. It'll usually just be me working on something in the background. A lot of my time is spent subbing and helping the girls with their image creation and all of that kind of stuff with their stories. And then I'm in emails and then probably more meetings and then maybe my day's over. That sounds like a busy day. It's, it can be busy. It can be busy, but it's like I work with a really good, really great team where you kind of, we, you know, you always try to make sure that no one's like the load is shared basically. It's not like back in the day when I remember working insane hours. It's kind of changed a little bit more now. And I don't know if this is because of the, because of the pandemic where we've all kind of realised like, you know, working huge days isn't really sustainable you've kind of you do have to take time for yourself as well and so I think like that's something anyway with with my team that I always try to make sure you know like you start when you start you finish when you finish like within your hours is no need to do overtime unless there's something I mean unless you've been out of the office in the middle of the day for like two hours or whatever then you might need to make up that time but like it's not one of those, you know, we don't need to be killing ourselves here. After all, we're just helping people make really good shopping decisions. So (laughs) we don't need to be, you know, working insane hours to do that. So we should be able to do our job within the hours that we are asked to do the job. So it sounds busy, but it's it's a job you you can get done in the hours that that you have to. I think that's good. And, And you're so right as in the pandemic really kind of switched a lot of like working habits and also a lot of companies, I guess, values, you know, I think they value their staff looking after themselves and and they now understand that when staff are, are happy, that the work produced is even better than before as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's when you get good, like you get quality work out of your team and yeah, it's just... Also, like it's you've got to, you've got to be like you know human when you think about these things and understand you know that you know sometimes people aren't as productive in the morning; they're more productive in the afternoon. So, kind of lean into that. Like when you know when things work. Sometimes I find like actually like I'll work better at night. So like sometimes I will like I will jump on, but that doesn't mean that the team has to jump on. I'll just jump on and do some things at night because I'm like oh. You know, I I feel like I've I got the time, and I just feel like maybe inspired to jump on and eat, whether it's like finish off a story I'm working on or jump on and fix something that one of the girls are working on or get through my emails. Like, oh yeah, I feel like you can be a bit more flexible too. So yeah. And speaking about writing stories, what are your favorite type of stories to write? Oh, that has changed so much. Sometimes I go through phases where like I don't want to write anymore. I just like being kind of in that post-production, you know, phase or, you know, like, you know, oh, let me create a Photoshop image for you for that story. Like that's, I kind of like the finishing, applying finishing touches to, to things. When I'm into, when I'm in the zone and I'm like, I'm writing, I think I, a lot of the stuff that I'll pick up will be you know, first person kind of review content that's very um, like I'm still I still have that passion for, 
you know, beauty content and style. So I kind of probably lean more towards those those topics when I can. And yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes I sometimes I think, oh, no one cares what I have to think. But then in other instances, I'm like, you know, it's something that I've been chatting to friends about or we're all having like similar kind of talking about similar things. And I'm like, oh, then like I don't mind writing about it when I know that, you know, there's an there'll be an audience there and that, you know, if my friends are talking, if I'm talking about it with my friends or my sisters or whatever, like there's an interest there. So yeah. I'm not really one to like also give my opinion on things too much. I'm very like I will share my opinion when I'm when I'm certain that like I you know that there would be an audience out there if that makes sense I don't know if that if that makes too much sense but I am not one to go hard on an opinion if I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's right and what I truly believe so I think that that kind of stuff I you know like to sit on a little bit more so yeah, the opinion stuff I don't mind, especially when doing first-person stuff, but it's got to be something I truly believe in because I would hate for someone to read it and go, well, she said this in this article a few years ago and now her opinions change and now she thinks this. Like I, yeah, I always want it to be genuine and something I truly believe. So, yeah. I think that definitely like comes across through your writing and on the opposite side what advice do you have for publicists pitching a product to review to you? So I think for that, it helps when the publicist knows the journal they're speaking to, but also the demo that the journal is writing for. Because sometimes you might get pitched something and you're like, we don't even, like, we've never covered that. And and we never would because our demo is too old or our demo is too young or, you know, we skew more female or, we, you know, like all the different factors that come into like why we um, choose to write something, you know, like haven't really been considered by the pitch. And I think you can tell when a pitch comes out and it's just to everyone, like it's not specialised to the journal or the de- their demo you know, that's a really good win for publicists because if they can get that right, because if you think about how many different brands and agencies that are sending emails to journos, you might catch them, your email might catch them on their, like, it could be their 87th email of the day. And it is a pitch that is actually for them and their demo. You're more likely to get, you know, a response and a response that you that you want that will help you and the brand that you're that you're working for. I think that that's really important. And I think just also knowing that they that there's a lot like if I think of my inbox on a normal day, it's they're they're busy places. So <laughs> there's no don't worry about the follow-up the next day or I mean obviously unless it's super urgent, but like, you know, the follow-up the next day or the phone call like an hour after the email was sent, trust that it's there, it's in the inbox and you know the journal will get back to you when, if it's if it's the right if it's the right pitch, and I and I guarantee if they if you are like pitching to them directly and to their demo directly that you will get a response and one that you will like. So, I think that it pays to put the research into, you know, who it is you're sending the pitch to and and how you could see it working. Sometimes you'll get an email and it will be like not even the right like the right publisher, like they're emailing, you can tell that it's just this 
same email they're sending <laughs> to the to everyone and they just swap out the name but maybe they forget to swap out the name further down into the email and you're like yeah research is so important and like you said just tailoring the topic or whatever you're pitching to the publication because yeah it might actually fit in a number of publications but the story being written is going to be completely different on one platform to another Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time, like uh, like consumers as well, we know readers aren't just reading one site. They're going to different sites. So if we if you get pitched something that is also being pitched to your competitor or it, to every other media outlet, then everyone writes the story. That also can get a bit annoying for the journos too because they're assuming when a pitch comes, well, most of the time you assume when a pitch comes to you that it's it's for you. Sometimes, like, I'll usually like to check and be like, oh, is this, has this gone out to other media? If so, we'd probably want a different angle, like to run a different angle or is there another way that we can get this over the line that won't be the same as what everyone else writes? So I think that that's really important too is like, you know, if it's a product or a person, what are the different angles that, you know, that people can get so that it's not like readers aren't going to every site and reading the same story? And that's also, but that's also on the journalist as well to, you know, seek that out too. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, working together. But if if the pitch can come through and it can be quite strong and and is, you know, slightly different to what everyone else is getting, then that's pa- like a part of the battle, you know. And then with the journal, then you can workshop, you know, really drill down and get to the angle that will work for, you know, publicist and journo and then everyone's happy it's a win-win that's what we want here right (laughs) before we get into the quick fire questions a, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are aspiring journalists and they want to be the next Karina Rossi so do, do you have any advice for them <laughs> they do oh my they god do. do they um oh goodness I don't know because I think like my like I don't know if my if my the way I've progressed in my career is that is that appealing to anyone. But I, one thing I do, I've always been a kind of like I like to sit and watch and not, you know, rush into the next thing. And sometimes like I always get asked like from like new starters and stuff like, you know, what would you like, what's your dream job? Like how, like what would be your next, you know, big role that you want to move into? And part of me is like, I don't know if like a dream job exists for me because what I thought was my dream job back when I started in media is not it now. And so I think as long as I'm happy in like, I love coming to work every day and I love doing my job. I love the people I work with. Like if I'm happy, I feel like I'm kind of I'm kind of there. I'm working in the industry I want to be in. And, you know, I think sometimes you can really get hung up on chasing that dream role and it's fine to be ambitious. That is so cool. But sometimes you miss out on seeing all the little the little things that kind of make up, like that could make up that potentially dream like role. I always think like people always like, oh my God, you're in magazines for seven years and the one magazine for seven years. And I get that seems like a really long time, but I feel like I learned so much in those seven years. And yet people jump around, jumped around, like could jump around in those seven years and go to a different publication and come back and then, you know, move up the chain a little quicker. But I feel like I really got to see how everything in that 
publication worked from every single level. Like I have been on every single level. Obviously, I wasn't editor or publisher. I didn't get to that role, but I was entertainment and features editor. And so you're fairly close. So you're in those rooms with, with, you know, your editor and stuff like that. So I got to see so much and how it all worked. And I feel like sometimes there's this rush to want to get to the top really quick and then you miss all those little learnings along the way and I think it's the little learnings that make you you know have the potential to make you a really amazing journalist or just really good at whatever it is you do because you understand how how every little part works and you'll never forget like I will never forget my time as editorial coordinator you literally the bot I don't want to say bottom of the heap. I was never treated like that. I was always like treated with respect and everything, but you were the, you know, you did basically everything for everyone. So I, I can never forget those years that I spent in that role. You know, I feel like they're really formative and they helped like shape me. And I feel like it's made me, you know, understand, you know, what it's like being the junior coming in and like how hard they've got to work to get recognized and, yeah, I think sometimes don't this is a, I'm I'm really making this answer super long, but basically what I'm trying to say is just don't be in a rush all the time. Don't try to rush through it. Just enjoy every step of the way, learn what you can learn, and yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> that is great advice. And no, I liked the long answer. It was great. I get there in the end. You know, yeah. I'm better I'm better in words, I'm better writing. Like I could write this out for you. <laughs> Then it wouldn't be a podcast, hey? (laughs) Now I have five quick fire questions left for you. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Go. They're not that scary. It's fine. (laughs) What has been your favorite PR event ever? Oh my god, ever. I've had I've had a few and a few in different kind of categories, and this is meant to be quick fire, and of course I'm turning this into a long answer. Um a beauty, so Beauty, I feel like, is where the big fancy events are at. There was a beauty event. This was during lockdown for Suwasu and we went to – they gave us the products and we stayed in a hotel for one night and we got to use the products in the hotel. And I feel like I've never had – I just thought it was so amazing because you – obviously, you're in a hotel – and that was quite fancy, loved that. But you also really got to use the products because it was, you know – you're forced to use the products, basically. You're in this hotel room. You've got this amazing bathroom, little suite. Just use the beauty products. And I, you, I did, and it was amazing, a really great way to, like, immerse yourself in, in the product, in the brand, um, and I'll never, ever forget that. So, yeah. That sounds like a cool event. <laughs> what is your favourite podcast? Uh, okay, so apart from, from this one, yeah. Yeah. Is that the right answer? Um, I it's quite funny with podcasts. I listen to them when I'm walking and I usually want it to just be like not tr- it's not trash. I just want like kind of a gossip fun kind of podcast. So I listen to Who Weekly. It's a US podcast and they kind of basically talk about all the who's so they're not super famous stars that they talk about but it's kind of like all that Vanderpump rules kind of like level celebrity and they just talk about that and yeah that's what I like to listen to (laughs) that sounds like fun too but I only I dip in and out so I'm not there I don't listen all the time because then that would mean I wouldn't be able to listen to my music which I feel like I'm, I'm always on Spotify so 
Uh, What is your favorite social media platform? I would say Instagram is my favorite, but I'm liking TikTok now. I think I mentioned before the algorithm has changed for me. So since that's changed, I'm liking that more, but I like TikTok. And what is your most visited website? Obviously, nine product reviews. <laughs> um, but I have all of, actually, I use probably use the apps more than anything, but I'd say like Netaporter, the Outnet matches, and Zara. I kind of just have my, I go on them when I'm, you know, on the train to and from work, and I just add things to my cart or my like saved list just to make myself happy. So then when I go back in, I'm like, yeah, that's right. I do like that bag. Do I buy the bag? Mm, depends. Like maybe on Zara, yes. Netaporter, I've got to think about it a little longer. <laughs> I just, yeah, they're probably the sites that I go and visit and I just do it to make myself feel better and just look at pretty things. I also like the cart though. I like, the, I do like the cart. So I will read that, but yeah, I feel like it's shopping sites for me. And my very last question for you, what is your screen time? Oh, God. Am I including work? I'm not including work. This is outside of work. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, because I'd feel really bad. I think my screen time, I think it would hit around like for the whole, for a whole day, maybe like two, maybe two hours. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. That's fine. No. I think if you, depends what I'm up to. The Obviously the commute I'm on my phone I'll, that will probably be about an hour I'd give you there. And then, yeah, I'd say probably around two hours. And then on weekends, it depends. I've got nothing on. All bets are off. I love how <laughs> sheepish everyone gets when they answer that question. They're like, I don't want to answer it. I'm, like, I'm trying to think like two hours in a block <laughs> is a long time, but then it, like, it's you know probably 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there throughout the day. And then, yeah, God, it could be way more than that. we'll go with it well thank you so much for joining me today I really really appreciate it and you offered some great advice so thank you for sharing oh it's been lovely chatting to you thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to the press office with Kate and Co PR please subscribe rate and review via your favorite podcast app and please give us a follow like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR